the whitelist me and I was able to start, I was able to mint on Super Rare, which was such a big thing to me, like to be able to go into Super Rare and mint my own work. And uh, at some point I kind of slowed down uh, because of freelance, like uh, NFT was great, but I really needed like uh, an extra financial support. So I couldn't reject my freelance offers by uh, freelance gigs back then especially that there were some really interesting freelance projects so that kind of slowed me down but this year like i decided to dedicate my time fully for nfts like full time i'm not taking any freelance or anything else all i'm working on is nft pieces and it's awesome it's really awesome i would have never dreamed of having this kind of freedom Talking about NFTs and that's nifty. That's nifty. All the great artists they come to this place to talk about the crypto space and that's nifty. That's nifty. That's nifty. Your hopes for tonight's podcast are Tyler. Larry and Slime Sunday. Damn, that's nifty. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing good. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, so we uh, Larry's down at the Masters, so uh, we brought in Naple Roos to do his first co-hosting today because he's familiar yeah, with your work as well. So we're excited to have Creative Flux on the pod today. Same here, man. It's a privilege. So I guess a lot of people probably uh, saw your name come up for the first time during the Aphoria's dad drop on Nifty Gateway. But, you know, there's some people like us that, you know, you were on our radar a little bit before that. You know, we saw Fuck Renders come in and grab your super rare piece. And that was awesome, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Like, uh, I wasn't even expecting that. I was just going to start a movie. And then I just saw a new offer coming in on super rare. I was like, who is that? Like, who, who found who found my work? <laughs> I went and I went in and I saw someone made an offer, and then I reached out to him. Uh, prior to that, like I didn't know like uh, Fuck Render was such an active member in the community, and uh, yeah. I sent him an, a DM and I told him, "Bro, are you the one who are you the one who made an offer on my work?" He said, "Yeah." And I was like, "I was like, uh, how did you find my work?" He said, uh, "I was I was scrolling on uh, Foundation in Reserve Not Met. I found your photography, and then uh, I decided to stalk you a little bit. And then <laughs> I that's how I found your work. He said, like uh, your work is really amazing. I I don't know why like you're not making sales and all that. I said, like uh, yeah, it requires a little, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of an audience. He said I can help. So that's why he tweeted about." Uh, the whole thing so yeah i'm very grateful for that and that's how uh, uh, matthew i four years that found out about my work and decided to invite me to nifty gateway which was very cool of him yeah it was an awesome piece that you submitted for that exhibition like defcon one is looks amazing yeah thank you yeah. so much uh, honestly i i wasn't expecting i wasn't expecting like uh, such positive reaction like uh, i went like one ten percent on that piece just in case if it didn't do well, then I don't blame myself for not trying my best. But 
also, uh, I know that uh, Matthew, I four years that like he was really working hard to get the word out. So even with all that, I still managed my expectation. I wasn't expecting like how how many people showed up on the on the on the drawing like eighty uh, five. Yeah, I was gonna seven. look. It, it was almost double the amount you had. Yeah, that was crazy. And uh, I remember Mr. Jim, Mr. Jim, Matthew, I four years dead, and I told him like at uh, 25, I was like, dude, there are 25 people now. <laughs> it was like, it was like, are you happy? I said, yeah, okay, yeah because I'm not. Are you joking? <laughs> because 25 was was a big deal to me. I was expecting maybe 10, 15 people, but 25, it was a big deal. And then just went up from there. So yeah, it was a it was an exciting night to be honest. That's uh, awesome, man. The work was so good that even though your name isn't out there as much, that it, the the work really made it obvious for people to enter. It's incredible. What I try to do, I try like uh, to make the work work for me, like to make the work speak for me or do the marketing for me. I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not a someone who has a big audience. So I try my best to let the work do its job. So yeah. Definitely, definitely did that. Yeah, it's about to say for sure. Um, where are you located? I'm in Casablanca in Morocco. Oh, nice, nice. At first, I don't think we've you've interviewed anyone there, right? No, first, first uh, podcast from Morocco. Yeah, yeah. Any other artists out there that you know of? Yeah, there, uh, there are a lot of people uh, that are in the NFT. There is uh, 3D sculpture who is really really talented um his name is uh azizi i guess yeah azizi uh he, there is uh, another artist he's a photographer he's called he's called l4 artist i've probably seen him on twitter he, he's doing very well as well especially on super rare so these are the people that i'm aware of and there are a lot of other 3d artists as well that were very active at the beginning, but now they kind of slowed down. Sorry, but, I wasn't aware that you did photography. I, I got to look that stuff up. It, yeah, yeah. I uh, It was between like uh, 2016 and 2018. Like that, that problem was my favorite period in my career. I decided uh, to jump into photography back in 2015. I was getting into synthwave and cyberpunk and all that retro goodness and that's when i saw a japanese photographer he was called uh masashi waku and he had like this really amazing photo series about tokyo at night the photos were really cool they were very cinematic game-like very vibrant and contrasty i just saw that those photos and tokyo like immediately jumped to the top of my bucket list so I said, you know what? Since I just got into photography, next year I have to go to Tokyo and do like a photo series or something. So that's what I did. I planned my trip and I decided while I'm at it, I might as well visit a couple other countries nearby. So that's when I decided to do Hong Kong, uh, South Korea, uh, Philippines, and then Japan. I started with Hong Kong and I made my first photo series there, like uh, when I first landed in Hong Kong, I was just mind blown. Maybe it's very normal for someone who lives in New York, but to me, 
<laughs> it was traveling in uh, traveling in time. So uh, the mega structures, the neon lights, the vibrance, the the chaos. So it was a very very good place for a photographer to start his photo series. So that's how I spent my week there, like uh, scouting during the day and shooting during the night until midnight. After that, I started editing my photo. I put that in Behance and then moved on to the next country. While I was while, while I was in uh, in Tokyo, I started getting like these uh, emails and uh, and messages on Facebook, and people are start start tagging me on Facebook. I was like, what's going on? Then I started noticing that. My work was being shared on uh, on a lot of websites. I didn't know how that happened, but I found my work on Fubis, on Ufunk, on B Streets. All those were like very, very big platforms for uh, creative people. So uh, that's when I realized that people actually saw my work on BNS and started sharing it, sharing it on their uh, own websites. And that from there, it just kind of blew up. That was my first viral moment, <laughs> small viral moment in photography. That's awesome. And, I'm looking at the photos now, they're they're amazing. That the color in the city in Tokyo or Hong Kong is insane. Thank you so much. The inspiration, like the guy who prompted me to start the photography, was uh, was uh, Masashi Wakui. But the inspiration, especially the colors, it was uh, from Liam Wong. He's a Canadian. Uh, he's a Canadian uh, photographer. If you He's, he's not very active in the NFT space, I guess, but you've probably seen his work before. Yeah, just looking through your foundation, like um, your 3D work alongside the, the photography, it's like they really fit together. It kind of like has the same look to it. Like it's stylistically in the same vein. And I love that. Yeah, it's kind of, um, it's a similar, you know, uh, as I said, like I like, Everything that has to do with retro wave, cyberpunk kind of vibe. So that's that's the big, the major influence. Honestly, um, I was intending on have keeping foundation for photography and super rare for digital art, but for some reason, uh, foundation decided to mix everything up together because the three D the three D pieces are minted on super rare, but I don't know why they are showing on foundation. <laughs> so. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like an object hand situation. Yeah, where they're yeah. just showing everything on ETH at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to separate the two things, but now I have to focus on digital art as well. Uh, just digital art and keep photography for myself. Yeah. Did you were you doing 3D art before the photography craze kicked off for you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I started 3D like back way back in 2010. Uh before that I was I started like do, dabbling in Photoshop and doing photo manipulation in uh, 2007. Uh, 2010, I picked up my first 3D software. It was first Blender, I guess, but I couldn't understand Blender. So I switched to Cinema 4D. I found it much easier to gasp. For the first two years, I was just experimenting typography, 3D, small animation, all that. Uh, until I found, out, I found out about Behance. That's when I saw like a whole new level of... Uh, professional work and that's when i learned started learning about uh, about motion design uh back in 20 back in 2012 i was doing that while i was also uh, studying my field of study was interrelated to what i'm doing now and uh, i would have i would probably been in it or something i was studying network security engineering 
but I love motion design. I love digital art. Somehow my hobby became my profession uh, because of my personal my personal projects. And uh, the first offer, the first job offer that I got was kind of my gateway to the motion design industry. And I stuck to it. I never looked back. I stuck to it until now. I never looked back uh, at my old life. And that's how I got into how it got into motion design. And you're also an art director as well? Yes, uh, I do some art direction projects. Sometimes like I just establish the visual style of a certain project and uh, manage a couple of small teams. So yeah, I definitely did few art direction projects, especially with uh, before it was with Audi uh, and uh, Roborace. Those are like, uh, Roborace is a, is a racing company that uh, use uh, AI, AI driven cars. AI, mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool. I guess it's in UK or something. That's awesome, man. So what was your gateway to NFTs? Like, how did that come across your desk? Ah, uh, actually, uh, I learned about NFTs back in uh, December 2020. I was just uh, like uh, uh, scrolling in Instagram and checking the stories. That's when I saw my friend, uh, a VFX artist from Argentina. His name is uh, Cascal, uh, Cascal Grand. He posted this story about which picture should I use for my first NFT? Uh, I replied, I said, I'm not sure what NFT is, but the second picture, I should definitely go with the second picture. <laughs> so here, yeah. So I was, honestly, I was kind of leading him. I was kind of leading him to give, me a, to give me a little bit of a lead. So anyways, he started explaining uh, about NFT. And um, at first it felt like, from what he said, it felt, too good to be true. And then he started sending me examples of uh, very active artists, super, including uh, uh, the Argentine uh, Ar- artist uh, Oxigeno. You, you know the guy, you've probably seen Yeah. He's very, very famous. So when I saw his uh, work on Super, I was like, yeah, if this guy is very active and he's posting work like continuously, so it must be, there must be something, right? And that's when I started looking up uh, more about NFTs. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of information online then. So I just went to Twitter, hashtag NFTs, and start seeing what people are talking about, etc. Eventually, I found like few people that I know from the industry. Uh, there was um, Octane Jesus, David Aryu, and uh, EJ from uh, iDesign.com. They were talking about NFTs and their intention of joining the NFT game, etc. And uh, in one of the comments, there was a link a private link to a video uh, uh, explaining exactly or simplifying the concept of NFTs. Uh, when I finished the video, I was so hyped about the idea. <laughs> about, yeah, I don't have to explain what NFT is. You, everyone knows what NFT is, but I was so, so hyped. And I was starting looking up all the platforms, applying like a maniac to every platform I know, even <laughs> even Nifty Gateway, I applied to Nifty Gateway because I thought it was like normal platforms like uh, Super Air or Maker's Place. Mm-hmm. Even thinking about uh, applying to CryptoKitties, I thought it was a platform for NFT artists as well. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot your shot, gotta try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how uh, hyped I was. 
there was a little bit of a hurdle, like uh, trying to figure out how to set up all those technical stuff, like MetaMask, how to get Ethereum, especially for people, for us in third world countries, it's very, very hard to buy like crypto, you know, it's restricted. Mm-hmm. So we had to find uh, some workarounds to get at least like the first minting fee. And eventually after applying, I got accepted in uh, Maker's Place. That was the first uh, platform that I got into a couple of weeks. And I started making my first uh, my first NFTs there just, uh, just like to learn more about the community, to learn how it works, uh, to connect with the collectors and all that stuff while also waiting for SuperRare to answer me back. Eventually after five, five months, they, they whitelisted me and I was able to start, I was able to mint on SuperRare, which was such a big thing to me like to be able to go into super rare and mint my own work and uh, at some point i kind of slowed down uh, because of freelance like uh, nft was great but i really needed like uh, an extra financial support so i couldn't reject my freelance offers like uh, freelance gigs back then especially that there were some really interesting freelance projects so that kind of slowed me down but this year like i decided to dedicate my time fully for nfts like full time i'm not taking any freelance or anything else all i'm working on is nft pieces and it's awesome it's really awesome i would have never dreamed of having this kind of freedom i mean if you if you talk to anybody like a couple years ago and told them like i want to do whatever the heck i want and i want to be able to financially support myself through it, they're going to dismiss you as someone who is unrealistic or out of touch. Mm-hmm. I, I would I'm unrealistic, but uh, right now, NFT made that possible. Like The closest thing that had that great balance between freedom and financial independence was freelance, but still, at freelance, like, you're not really doing your own work. You're still doing the work for somebody else, right? You're still answering to somebody else, which is great compared to a full-time job. But NFT took all that to a whole new level. I'm really grateful, to be honest, to be to be present, to be active in this period of time and witnessing all this change in our industry. It's really awesome. You're your own client now. You're making your own work for yourself, for your collectors. And, you know, that's yeah. a big, big leap of faith to, you know, I, we've talked to a lot of people who've went full-time NFT and to really, you know, put that freelance work to the side. It's got to be a huge step, you know, and, and yeah. it's got to be scary too at the same time a little bit. It is. It is. Uh, I wouldn't lie. Like uh, at the beginning, I wasn't so sure. Do I want to do it? Do I want to really give up on Because uh, again, I was just starting my freelance career. I was, I just quit my second job back in 2019. And I was just, because you know, freelance, you need to build. You need to build a client base slowly. You have to accept whatever project at the beginning. And then you need to earn the confidence of more clients. So it took me a while to reach to a certain level to be able to attract more clients and sustain myself. So I was kind of, Kind of not sure at the beginning, do I want to give up all this thing that I worked hard for and jump on another ship? And I'm not sure where the ship is going or should <laughs> I just take 
<laughs> should I just take the leap of faith? And that's what I did. Like, I think it's also because of what Fakrander and the uh, I4 years dead did. Like, that really, that was actually the catalyst or the, the factor that actually convinced me to finally actually do NFT full time. Yeah. Wow. So, I'd be grateful for them. Yeah, hats off to A4 is dad. I'm glad that that came through. Um, yeah, we see your work on it then because now more people get to see your work. Yeah, yeah. We were seeing on Twitter that you're working on a new drop now. Uh, do you know what platform that's going to be on? Um, we just I just spoke with uh, Matthew from Nifty Gateway and uh, he wanted me to be on a second drop. This one is a so- this one is a solo drop, it's created wow. solo drop. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Congrats. <laughs> Finally. Uh, it's a little bit late. Uh, it's going to be on uh, September 22nd. I initially I initially wanted to be wanted it to be somewhere between July and August. Oh wow. It probably it's going to be slow NFTs. Most people are on holidays on July and August. So we decided on September. So I'm going to have one drop on September. A solo drop. And the second drop with A4 is that also on Nifty Gateway, like a partnership, kind of partnership or a collaborative collaborative drop. But before all this, I will definitely do something on OpenSea or something. That, that's for sure. So I can't just wait until September. So I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have something on uh, on June, June or July. Awesome. That's for sure. I can't wait for that. You deserve it. Solo drop. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. The only challenge is that my work a little bit take a little bit of time. Turn it out yeah. in a in a week or two. It takes a little bit of time. So that's, that's good. And September gives you plenty of time to get that drop off fleshed out and figure out exactly which pieces you want to bring in and all of the business side of it. Where like figuring out the pricing and like additions and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Also, going to give you some time to build an audience and stuff like, and you know, start connecting with more people, which yeah. also helps. We'll always do our best to get your name out there. As <laughs> yeah. We do. yeah, I really like what you're doing, guys. That's really awesome, to be honest. So, with so, the other side of like NFTs, with like, you know, the marketing yourself aspect, how do you feel in that realm? Like, that's been the biggest thing for a lot of artists we talk to where it's like, I just want to make art. And it seems like the NFT side, you have to like become your own small business, you know? True. Uh, well, it's not just about NFT. It was the case for before NFTs, just for freelance. If you want to be become your own independent artist and you want to get more clients, it was a challenge. Like there is this struggle that I always wrestle with as a creative person trying to build a, an online audience is that everything that I have come to believe about building a successful artistic brand uh, points towards finding like finding and filling a niche. That means like I have to develop and adhere to a certain style, something like that will uh, instantly be recognizable. Like while there is some truth to this, I've personally experienced this, but I think there is a major pitfall. So for example, uh, eight years ago, I found what I believed was my style. Uh, even though I was producing quality work, it was still like the work of fledgling artist. So I obviously kept creating in this style and working to develop it. 
and I was sharing these works consistently. And I was receiving a very good feedback. It was great, but I've been feeling like I'm starting to stagnate. Like the work I've been making became very comfortable and not posing much or any challenge. So uh, I felt like I've stopped growing and developing. And not only that, but I found myself like getting bored from repeating the same thing. And uh, my mind like started forming this mental block that pushed me back from creating. And so that's when in 2017, I decided to start working on my first big personal project. My first big personal project was, yeah, it was a work that uh, pushed me out of my comfort zone completely. Like the difficulty was high and the art direction the art direction was not within what I could have considered like in my wheelhouse. So, and I worked on it for about eight, eight or nine months. It was terrifying, but it showed me that I can grow. And also it showed me that despite enjoying these quick daily projects, I'm craving work that is more substantial. Like I need to make work that takes weeks to months, like not hours to days. And because of that, because I can't make a lot of work on a very consistent basis, so it becomes even more challenging to get your name out there and build an audience. Because if you have seen, like most people who have huge audiences on Instagram or, or Twitter, they're posting almost daily, on daily basis. Uh, that's something I can't do. Because to be honest, that's not where I feel... I feel that's not where I feel at home here. You know, I like, as I said, I like to make one, two, three, or four projects per year, but very finalized, very well polished, uh, and I put everything into them. So, yeah, um, honestly, I'm still figuring out like how to <laughs> to do all this marketing stuff and build an audience and get my name out there. So we'll see. We'll see. I will see how, how, how it's going to roll out this year. I mean, there are, there are other examples to say, like, that are successful. Like, even though they make one or two projects per year, like, they are very, uh, they have a big audience, like uh, Planet Zumax, like Cornelius Damrick. So, you know, the Cornelius Damrick. Mm-hmm. usually make, like, one high-quality, insanely detailed artwork per year, but he has a huge audience. So he probably figured out a formula on how to do that, but I still have to find my own formula. So yeah, that's definitely going to be a challenge. And I will see, I will see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've seen a lot of artists who would, um, you know, balance doing like every days while working on another project. And that seems to be, you know, that would take away time from building out these really intricate pieces. So that's not the right plan for everyone either. And you're at the risk of burning yourself out really quickly if you're going to keep doing that on the long run. It's not sustainable. Usually, it definitely takes small breaks between each project just to recharge, to get inspired, to get motivated. You know, it's like, a, it's like to me, making, a, making an art piece is like eating food. You know, you eat food and then you're, you're full. You're, the, art, the artist within you is full. Like, it doesn't crave more. So I have to start with a little bit. And then I'm going to start another project. That's how it worked for me. 
uh, as I said, I tried dailies before, but I didn't really feel, I didn't feel that sense of accomplishment that I usually sense when you're making a big project. I, res I respect that. Putting all your time and effort into the work instead of trying to get more followers. It shows. And I was going to ask about DEF CON a little and the process into making that because the details are so insane as a still image itself. And the fact that you add the animations to it just blows my mind and zooming in and everything feels like you could touch it. So how does that process work and how long does that take? Appreciate it. Um, I think I started working on DEFCON a little bit before A4Years that approached me. I think it was in December. In December, I was just making the assets. Like uh, the idea, the whole idea wasn't very fleshed out back then. I was just, I didn't, uh, all I knew, like I wanted to make something retro futuristic 70s, 70s, 80s inspired, uh, kind of atom punk or uh, what do you call it? Space age kind of vibe. And uh, then um, there was this song, it's called uh, Technoir by Gunship, which which I really love, which inspired me to make this piece. Uh, the process was basically just me first preparing assets, the, the modeling, usually is done in uh, CAD modeling softwares like Moi3D or the usual subdivision modeling softwares like Cinema 4D or Blender. Uh, I also use the help of Kitbash. You know what Kitbash is? I'm not familiar, no. I've, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar. Make a collection of uh, small sci-fi abstract pieces don't mean anything on their own. It's just like Lego, small Lego pieces. You just have to combine them and make something out of them. So that accelerates the workflow drastically, actually. So yeah, my hero assets are uh, mostly made from scratch in CAD modeling softwares. And then I use Gitbash to make more secondary and tertiary assets to populate the scene. Mm. And... Um, after that, I start the look dev, uh, the look development phase, which is basically texturing every asset. Oh, like you have to take the asset, take it to Substance Painter. Substance Painter is a software that allows you like to paint directly on the 3D model. So the 3D model becomes your canvas. So you can add all, you have full control. You can add all the little details, the rust, the peeling effects, the stickers and the graffiti and all that details that actually adds character to the to the model because I don't like to keep my model clean because they just feel very computerized, very digital. So I want to step away from being, I want to give it like a, a very organic feel. So uh, yeah, after Substance Painter, I just assemble everything in uh, Cinema 4D and then I start lighting my scene. Still lighting is one of the most challenging uh, part or of the process because a bad lighting can ruin everything you worked for. A good lighting can take it to a hundred. So I still, every time at the beginning, I hated seeing. I hated everything about it because, uh, yeah. And um, you have to be careful about the lighting not clashing with the colors of your object. So it actually has to work together. And so the lighting has to actually boost the colors. Not, the, for example, if you have an orange an orange object and you're adding a purple or a blue light, it's just going to mute that color and it's just going to look muddy and bad. So eventually I it, I had that, you always you always get that eureka moment, like that lucky accident when you, 
you find your lighting or the right mood or the right color palette, etc. And I stuck to it. And uh, the rest is just like uh, connecting everything with cables and a lot of shenanigans to make it look like it's <laughs> like it's the same. It's, it's, it belongs to the same environment. Like not just every object is sitting in his own bubble. Like I like to make them like interact with each other. Maybe uh, some object is falling on another object or stuck between two objects or something like that. So that makes it a little bit more dynamic feel to it. And uh, I also work on the fictional branding of that small universe I'm building. I think it adds a lot of uh, believability to the scene, like fictional brands, fictional logos, uh, maybe a fictional diner or something, and you just stick these logos on objects. So kind of hints to the world behind that scene. Also hints to the character behind that scene. Even if it's not there, but you can tell, for example, this guy is a smoker. This guy is uh, is living alone because he has takeaway boxes and etc. 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 So yeah, and uh, after that, the animation is uh, very straightforward. Nothing fancy, like just camera moving slowly and trying to match it with the beat of the music. For the music, I hired a local talent to do the music for me. I just showed him an example and told him like. Like uh, come up with something like uh, I just want it to be like slow, melancholic, sad, depressed, a little bit depressed, not too depressing. But some, I gave him like some notes, and uh, that's what he came up with. And uh, the voiceover was uh, uh, a guy who I hired. Like he had this really deep radio voice from Voices.com, which that's what I wanted for my piece. And uh, I took it to Audacity, and I gave it that vintage crackling sound effects that sound like a recording etc and that's how uh, i got my piece the way it looked now wow yeah i never i never would have guessed that you had the music made and that voiceover made by someone that you met i i just yeah. thought it was taken offline somewhere and it worked for you that's, no I that actually, makes, that's crazy I actually have yeah, I actually hired, hired people for it, for it. And because, uh, yeah, you definitely want something customized. You definitely want something that, that matches your vision. Uh, it's very hard to find something available. I think making something from, from scratch is easier than looking up something that actually aligns with that vision. So, yeah, it's easier to hire the right people for, for what you want to do. Makes sense. Back to the lighting on this piece, like I love that you know there's cool tones like under the desk and then warmer tones of light coming through the the grate in the background. I love the balance throughout the piece. Like it just makes me like so much trouble to get all of that to work right. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, uh, I had like two little challenges in that scene, like the back the back window, the color of the back window or the color of the light that was in the back window. That was something that I had it was fixed, like I couldn't change. Like I decided that it's gonna be yellow and it has to be yellow. So uh, that was, cause you know, uh, my imagination is that like the outdoor is, you know, you wanna give it like that kind of uh, post-apocalyptic radioactive feel like yellowish hot. And you know what I'm trying what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you so, can uh, feel it. It's like um, a big city with those halogen lights on the street and it's- yeah, yeah, an old street light. Yeah, foggy. Yeah, pollution. So, 
pollution, the radioactivity, and all that madness. I hope that never happened. <laughs> and uh, the second thing that was already fixed was the color of the objects, especially the central piece, the, the little uh, spherical real to real computer. That was orange. So if you fix two attributes in your scene, you have to dictate the lighting based on those two things. I had a different uh, light setup in my mind before, but it just couldn't work. I wanted to have more purplish, like uh, retro vibe, but that actually making my scene worse. It was killing the colors of the objects and it wasn't matching up with the background light and it was ruining everything. If I remember correctly, I probably used maybe 15 light source in that scene. Wow. Uh, yeah, I have like uh, to target each little light towards a certain area just to give it enough details to be visible. Like I know some people like to have their work very contrasty, like they have this very dark areas and very bright areas, but I don't like to do that because I worked so hard on the on the texture and all that, and I'd like to show it off. Like, <laughs> let's see this whole thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I mean, uh, if you ask me, I love the contrasty light setup, but you just need to find that sweet spot, like between contrasty and clearly or well lit scene. So, um, yeah, like that was the whole process. Like, it's just a bunch of decision makings, one conflicting with each other, and you have to try like find the sweet spot, or you have to find a common ground between this and that, and try to come up with the right color palette for your scene. I don't know what you guys call them over there, but that the white um, we call them doilies that's sitting under the the fuck meter in the piece. It's funny that that you use that because I can remember my grandfather's like work bench like in his basement it's all greasy and he would have those laid out everywhere and it just yeah. it brought me back to that like grimy feeling i love it yeah um at first i didn't know i didn't know the name like i was just looking like on pinterest or 70s uh, uh bohemian uh, interior design and trying to look up find the name somewhere but then i found name and th that was that was part of like something you see it's kind of a staple you see it in every scene from the 70s you see it on tv you see it on a vcr you see it on a lot of stuff so yeah i wanted to add that uh, homey touch to the whole environment right he lives yeah. in this squalor <laughs> yeah I, I love that the seat's open too because that gives you a chance to put yourself into the scene you know like that could be your chair at the end of the day I want that donut. <laughs> I actually had a character on the seat, but it just didn't look photorealistic enough. It was, it had the right pose. He was leaning on his knees and holding a mug. He's kind of defeated, like mentally exhausted. It was, it was perfect for the scene, but his hair wasn't photorealistic. It was, photo, it was 3D scanned, so it wasn't photorealistic. So I just had to, to take it out. And also it was hiding a lot of, it was taking up a lot of space in my frame. So mm. I just said, you know what, the voiceover will do. Yeah. Still chances to, to bring him back in future pieces, you know, we can uh, see if he makes an appearance later on. I'm just now like started to learn um, uh, MetaHuman, if you have heard about it. No. It's, uh, 
it's a, it's a new software by Unreal Engine and by Epic Games. And it allows you like to, to customize oh, yeah. hyper realistic characters. That stuff so, is scary. That is scary. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I plan on including in my my future workflow. Yeah, I I definitely want some characters in my scenes. Like characters like add a lot of life to scene. So, but I, it has to be good. It has to be visually good, like in terms of quality, in terms of uh, rendering and all that stuff. Well, it looks like you have a character in your next scene that you teased yesterday. Ah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's probably uh, that's just uh, a robot. I'm planning on uh, making the geisha. If you've seen my first previous geisha, yeah. So I was just looking at that malevolent. Yeah. So that character, I want it to become like the protagonist of uh, my next drop. It's gonna be about uh, post-humanism. So uh, I just plan on having that geisha living multiple different scenarios and tackling like uh, different subjects. So that's why you've seen it in my work in progress. Yeah, that's for, that's just a placeholder for now. But later on, I'm gonna replace it with the geisha. I was gonna say it shows how versatile you you are in your work that you have a scene like this with the geisha, and then you got the computer scene. Like this geisha is so high quality. It reminds me of a Raf Grassetti sculpture almost, the body. Yeah, uh, that was mostly kitbashed in ZBrush. If you're familiar with ZBrush, yeah, yeah. it's a sculpting tool and uh, just super quick to make details and like for this kind of stuff, it's just the right tool to do. And were your travels to Japan uh, the influence behind creating the geisha? Yeah, I've kind of always been fascinated by the by the richness, of, the richness of the Japanese culture, like way before traveling to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, geisha was actually inspired from Ghost in the Shell. And okay. uh, so uh, that was my main, my main influence. But uh, generally, you'll find me leaning towards like uh, Oriental or Asian uh, themed artworks. Just proud of an early influence in my childhood, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're probably all around the same age, like born in the, the early 90s. And anime yeah. was huge over here in the States as well. And like it's, it's leaned to a lot of um, what we collect to, like people like Exulo were like, Akira was a very big um, inspiration for him as well. Yeah, exactly. I love his work. Oh, yeah. We do too. Absolutely beautiful. Great guy too. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So have you done any collecting yourself? Well, uh, I wouldn't call myself like a, a real collector, but I did collect a few pieces uh, from, uh, from too much lag, from few of my friends. And uh, I think that's about it. Like maybe I collect a couple of few things, but I don't remember. But yeah, I'm not really active at collecting now. Like I, I literally, I'm almost like, I don't have the fun to to buy uh, artworks, but that's, that's definitely on my on my future plans. I want to collect more stuff, especially from, uh, from fellow artists, people who aren't like, who aren't really who are still struggling with the with getting their name out. So I want to at least support them a little bit. The same way I got support from uh, Fakrander and Too Much Lag and many other artists, many other collectors as well. Yeah. So yeah, this is what it's about. Like it's just we're trying to pull each other out and trying to all make it at once. Yeah, yeah pay it forward. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. You see your PFP, um, the the lay yeah. anime from Too Much Lag. It matches your band <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. had to like I want to do uh, green, but I choose the green because it matches the. the <laughs> it looks nice. Yeah. Thank you. We got some of those. Yeah, I can't wait to combine them all and make those heroes. That'll be fun. Oh, it's a shame. I only have the spirits. I don't have the the original anime. I think you can still stack them on top of each other. You can combine the traits at some point soon. Yeah, I would try that. But uh, I wasn't aware. I was like, uh, it's 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 fascinating how each artist make up his own intricate mechanism of NFTs. It's not just about like selling an art piece, but there is this combining and it is stacking and spirit follows the, the original character all this stuff like he takes you in on a story on a journey so that's very fascinating yeah he's a um, genius yeah it must be nice yeah. when your roommate is a, a contract dev and they can do all this fancy stuff with the blockchain yeah 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 so with all your projects coming up you're going to be pretty busy the next couple months i would imagine right so you have the Aphoria's dad will have a drop sometime coming up soon. You have yeah. uh, an open sea collection at some point, maybe in June, and then your own solo drop on Nifty Gateway in September. Like you're rolling into some some big stuff coming up. Like you're this is yeah. happening now. Does it hit you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's both exciting and intimidating. Um it, I just need to do like a lot of time management, like but it's nothing that I can't handle, you know, the experience of working as a freelancer is your views to deadlines and all that crazy stuff. So uh, I'm definitely going to make it. But I just want to clarify that OpenSea, I'm not doing like a full collection. It's going to be probably one, one, uh, 10 editions of same artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like, so I don't have to keep the collectors waiting, you know. Something to hold you over. Yeah, you got to get the art out sometimes. Exactly, yeah. Uh, September is very, very long, very long time. So yeah, definitely make an art or two before that. Yeah. But as you say, it's going to be crazy, crazy busy, definitely. Well, we're excited to see what comes out of all of those. Naperus, did you have any other questions? I don't, I can't think of anything. I'm, I'm new to this. So uh, I was only good for a couple of questions. You're good. We appreciate it. Uh, I was actually I was actually surprised that when uh, when uh, Naperus told me that he was a firefighter. So uh, you know it's easy to forget that people who are involved in this space like have regular jobs and daily life to attend to. So because you know my my common picture that I have in my head is that everyone is chilling somewhere on a beach you know, or on a penthouse with a laptop and a cold drink, you know, and watching <laughs> candles. So it's kind of. It, it's kind of nice to feel like, yeah, these just regular people like you, like they're uh, hustling and trying to win their bread. So it's kind of awesome. Yeah. We love that. And uh, Naperus is actually, a, he's a firefighter in my town. So he's, he protects my city. So I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. You guys don't get a lot of uh, wildfire on the West Coast, right? No, no. no it's, we're, we're okay over here on the East Coast for the most part for fi- wildfires, but there's still a lot of stuff that uh, people has to go and see that I'm, I'm glad that he does that. So I don't have to. Yeah, definitely. And art, art has been my escape the past two years or a year and a half. 
Yeah, he started That's making awesome. some work as well on uh, Tezos, so he's he's got some stuff coming out soon. Oh, nice! You don't have to show me. Yeah, you have to show me what you're working on. I will. Just little little uh, drawings on my Surface Pro. Nothing great. I'm just wait. Like we'll, we'll get you on 3D before you know it. Yeah, I made, I tried 3D for like ten minutes. I, I downloaded one of the free apps and I could not do it. I think ZBrush. I tried. I had no idea what I was doing. I just had the sphere ball. <laughs> And couldn't do anything to it. <laughs> ZBrush, ZBrush is ZBrush is scary uh, to everyone, not just you. Like to even seasoned artists, like when they jump to ZBrush, it's just scary. The whole interface feels like it came from aliens or something. It's very exactly. I had no idea what I was doing. I have a hard enough time with like Microsoft Paint, so I don't think I'll be doing anything professional anytime soon. ZBrush or uh, Houdini? Which one's harder to learn? Oh, uh, I haven't, I haven't tried Houdini yet. Like, but from what I've heard, like, okay, I'm just gonna quote a friend who is very, very, very good at Houdini. And what he told me, he told me that Houdini is not that hard as people might uh, make it to be. Like, people online make it look way more complicated than. What it seems they code their own stuff when there is the code is available within Houdini and it's much optimized and much faster. So, so uh, that's what he said. But personally, I still think Houdini, like uh, you know, with when you have a software that gives you so much power, so much control over anything, eventually the the cost is complexity and it's uh, a long learning curve. So Houdini is definitely probably harder than ZBrush. Yeah, it's like a, maybe you can figure out everything about ZBrush, but Houdini is even the experienced people still there are things that they don't know about Houdini. Like there are things like it's continuously trying to troubleshoot stuff and solve problems, even if you know the tools. Houdini is a is an entirely different beast. Yeah, mm. I was so I was so hyped about Houdini before this. I was planning on traveling to Canada to study Houdini at a, at a school, a private school in uh, in Vancouver. It's called the uh, Lost Boys Studios. And it was the only school that teaches Houdini full-time, eight hours a day for uh, a whole year. Wow. But, yeah, but uh, the COVID wow. restrictions came in and uh, none of that happened. So I was kind of bummed. And also the cool thing about the school is that they take you out on trips. So you can actually analyze, for example, how the waterfall, how the, how the water crash against the rocks or how certain things gets destroyed, etc. So you can get the real life, real life experience when you, when you try to simulate something in the software. Because, you know, Houdini is all about simulating real life. So that was one of the coolest things about that school. So yeah, hopefully maybe in the future I'm gonna go finish my studies there. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. We hope that uh, gets to happen for you. All this COVID yeah. stuff is finally starting to cool down. It looks like hopefully, fingers crossed. Hopefully. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just got COVID ten days ago. So, but um, good. Now. I'm excited. To see, I'm excited to see the metahuman that you in Hi, that, that involved because that. Every time I see a post regarding uh, MetaHuman, it, it looks like a real person and the expressions and stuff and stuff is creepy. 
insane and the te- technology is just moving so fast no, too fast. none of us yeah, it's too fast like uh, none of us can actually catch up with how fast it's going especially nvidia and the uh, epic games they're constantly coming up with revolutionary technology not just any technology like something that actually changes the the life of the artist or digital artist to be better so that's really awesome i can't wait to see how it's going to work out for me in the, in my next artworks well everyone can look forward to that um we really appreciate your time creative flux and um we'll be in touch absolutely man thank you which episode number is this oh i honestly think you might be number 69 nah. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm that's cool okay we picked a good one <laughs> yep yeah thank you thank you guys for having me i really appreciate it. yeah i had so much fun talking to you guys yeah, yeah man thanks. plenty thanks more coming podcasts on. coming up i would imagine you can uh get on the circuit now gotta absolutely. talk to rd yeah absolutely yeah looking forward to that all right yeah you guys have the well, good luck with everything your good luck with your future projects thank you man have a nice weekend guys yep. thank Bye. you you too see ya damn that's nifty single line. I sure as hell didn't know that. Fuck Render built a gallery to raise new artist popularity. What a guy. Yeah, man. Too much lag like a nomad. All his belongings in a single bag. All these things, can't you see? I learned all that's NFT. That's NFT. That's NFT. That's a nifty, nifty NFT. That's nifty, that's NFT That's a nifty, nifty NFT That's nifty, that's NFT That's a nifty, nifty NFT That's nifty, that's NFT That's a nifty, nifty NFT Damn, that's a nifty NFT